This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Visit bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome in, everyone, and thank you for listening to the 67th ever episode of the Missouri Sports Podcast, brought to you by 106 Apparel and recording from the Revel Advertising Studio in beautiful Springfield, Missouri. I'm one of your hosts, Cameron Albert, alongside my good friend and fellow Mizzou fan, Kyle DeVries. How are you doing today, Kyle? Cameron, it is, what, like 7-something in the morning? We are yep. recording a little early today because of some some scheduling conflicts with our normal record time, uh, so we're, we're coming to you uh, Bright and, bright and early. Beautiful but, uh, sunrise this yes, morning in Springfield. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing very well. Um, so I take it you're doing much better than a week ago. You want an update on my, yeah. on my brain? Yes. Well, you know, it, things are a lot better now than they were a week ago. Um, what was on fire last week is, you know, the, I think the fires have kind of gone out. And um, I don't know if the I don't know if the fire trucks are there yet, but, you know, it's 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 definitely simmering down and i don't know i think there's definitely some some plans on the horizon to to rebuild the neighborhood seems like things are moving in the right direction yeah i thought maybe lane kiffin was going to be the guy to uh, roll in and put out the fires he didn't get the opportunity but uh, we're going to talk a lot about the guy that will get that opportunity Mm -hmm. but first i need to let you know that support for the missouri sports podcast comes from manscaped who is the best in men's below the belt grooming manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag below the belt. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. Manscaped also has the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits. Why are you not putting deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? Always use the right tools for the job. Your balls will thank you, Kyle. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BIGHEADS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code BIGHEADS. All right, Kyle. We've got lots of news. This is a news heavy episode. And we'll start it off by breaking the news to everyone for the first time. You heard it here first. Mizzou has hired a new football coach, Eli Drinkwitz from Appalachian State. That's great news. Yeah. That is exactly what I wanted to hear this morning at 7 whatever o'clock it is. 7 whatever. And um, what, do you, what do you feel about the hire? Are you excited? You happy? I am excited. Um, honestly, I'm surprised at the positivity in the Mizzou fan base. I think a lot of it is just relief that they hired somebody. Didn't hire Jim McElwain? <laughs> yeah. I think... There was a legitimate fear in a lot of the fan base, at least on the internet, that Missouri was really going to mess up this hire mm-hmm. and that Jim Sterk would be on the hot seat. And I think the university and the fan base has kind of rallied around this hire in a way that Jim Sterk should feel good about. Um, I think if he had gone with some of the other candidates that we had discussed, obviously people would have just legitimately hated the hire. And I mean, like a Jim McElwain, for example, or a Skip Holtz or somebody, even um, the Service Academy guys that we talked about, any of those, and I think everybody would have been looking for reasons to get Jim Sterk out of there and move on and start fresh with everybody. And with the way basketball was going there for a little bit, Conzo Martin wasn't looking good and I mean, we talked about last week just kind of the state of of affairs there for a little while. It was pretty dire, and I think I think he he made a good hire, and at least as far as we can tell so far, which isn't much, but that's all we have to go off of. Yeah, last week when we recorded, we were really like in the thick of it, yeah. and it was like the day that Sterk took the three names to the board, and it was publicly leaked somehow that. Uh, those were the three names he took to the board. The board kind of said, let's regroup and, and start over, potentially go get some new names. Do you think that uh, 
Coach Drinkwitz was on the list from the get-go, or do you think he was added to the list at that point? I don't know. That's kind of weird. I was thinking about that, like how the timeline there with Jim Sterk, and it seems like he wasn't on – he was probably on Jim Sterk's radar, but for whatever reason, it really seems like he wasn't the first choice. Now, I think – Sterk and the athletic department are kind of spinning it that this is the guy they wanted all along and they just went out and got him but it seems pretty obvious that's not the case I mean when we can only really compare it to when he hired Conzo and when that happened it was just silence Mm -hmm. we didn't know anything which is probably how a lot of coaching searches typically go and then here he is yeah so I I I think I agree with you that he probably wasn't on that list at least the priority names at the beginning of the search um so it was either exactly what we kind of feel like happened where they added his name kind of after the board told him to go look for new names or it was the greatest like misdirection ploy of all time i don't know if that's really what happened but if it was that that was really well done i guess yeah there's something in there though that we're not going to know about i mean there's something with that that list that stirk took to the board right there there's something that we don't know that transpired and I don't know. And I think it's fairly common probably how that went down in in normal coaching searches. I think that probably happens where the coach says, okay, these are some guys I'm thinking of. What what do you guys think? And the board says, "Ah, we're probably not, we're not a huge fan of the, of these hires go look for new names. What's not common is that it gets leaked to the media somehow. And so I guess I wanted to ask you about how you think that may have happened. Like, okay, I think the first guy that, that um that leaked the news or not leaked the news but but shared the news was uh randy yeah from I forget st louis radio I'd, guy yeah yeah and he doesn't really seem to have a lot of affinity for mizzou at least some of the tweets i've seen him put out there recently but um i mean there's just not that many people that could have leaked that news i mean there's not many people that would know that that happened, that that yeah. happened. and i'm not sure if there was any bad motives involved but somebody it almost seems like somebody really wanted to make Stirk look bad yeah um and i don't know who who or i don't want to like throw names out there but it's interesting to think about the pretty small pool of candidates that that could have been yeah I, i've tried to look at the like uh i guess the positive or like the optimistic shockingly i'm trying to find the optimistic outlook in that situation and perhaps somebody involved with that process thought it was a legitimately good idea to get this information out there maybe to maybe they used that to in their conversations with somebody like Drinkwitz to be like hey don't worry about these guys you know you're the guy we really want and here's you know the uh the financial numbers we're we're working with because I mean, by the time they went to him with anything close to the contract structure they actually ended up with, that seems like it was a done deal and it should have been, you know, as quickly as it happened, that seems like exactly how much time it should take for a guy that's coaching at Appalachian State. He's been a head coach for one year, making less than a million dollars a year. That's about how long it should take for that guy to accept an SEC head coaching job with such a good contract like the one he has right now. Yeah, he definitely got paid for sure. And I'm not sure if the leak was something that was not on purpose. I got to think that probably helped him get paid a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and that's just the nature of college sports right now is it's people are, are getting their money, especially in, in SEC schools. So I guess good for Coach Drinkowitz. Um, hopefully, you know, we didn't – I think it's possible we probably overpaid a little bit, but, I mean – Sounds like we probably weren't the only school that may have been pursuing him. I think it was reported that Arkansas was going for him too, and he's from Arkansas. So obviously Mizzou felt like, you know, we may have to beat out some competition here, and the way things have gone so far aren't that great. So, But if we can open up the checkbook a little bit, then maybe that can compensate for how things have gone. But I'm excited about this hire. Um, I, I think that this hire brings something more exciting than the three names that were brought to Stirk, or excuse me, that Stirk brought to the board originally. Um, I think those three guys, any of those three guys probably could have been successful here. Um, they might not have been. They might have just kept Missouri going at a very mediocre pace. I don't know. Um, but I think Drinkwitz brings a different excitement, um, kind of a 
high ceiling potentially that those guys didn't bring and that's clearly excited the fan base and that's definitely one big part of of a coaching hire is you gotta you know really sell it to the fans and I think they've done that yeah I mean like I said earlier I'm I'm honestly surprised at how positive the reception has been on social media Um, I think there were a lot of people ready to just be really mad and continue to be mad about this hire um, with some of the possibilities that are out there. And it's refreshing to see, and obviously the uh, university social media teams and all that stuff, um, they're doing a really good job selling this as well. And Coach Drinkwitz did a good job in his press conference and all that. But all of that combined is, I think, like you said, really exciting the fan base and they're seems like everybody's pretty positive about this at this point uh one other thing i wanted to say about the contract is he's making about four million a year starting out which is obviously more than barry odom was making uh at the time he was fired and it's also just barely i mean like i think like less than a few hundred thousand dollars less than what gary pinkle was making when he retired so Yep, they're they're paying pretty good money. That's crazy. Yeah, it's as far as Mizzou <coughs> standards go. That is crazy, and I mean, sure, I think part of it's probably just the current coaching landscape, but also just, I mean, he's just getting paid a ton of money. I mean, they yeah. they probably just felt like they had competition. So, um, I'm fine with that. Um, we did that with Conzo, and got Went him. It got him here. Yeah. One. So I I think that's um, that, I think that's how you go get a good candidates is you uh, get the big boy money out. So let's talk just a little bit more. Um, if if people haven't really taken the deep dive into his history, we talked about him for about oh ten seconds last week as a possibility. I uh, went back and listened to last week's episode, and it is kind of interesting that we we did throw his name out there as a guy who was kind of on the mid major level and might be looking to make the jump. Had been successful everywhere and really really good year at Appalachian State. So. I was wrong in one thing that I said. I was I was close. I said that he was the offensive coordinator under Blake Anderson at Arkansas State, but he was actually the offensive coordinator, or co-offensive coordinator under Brian Harson. Mm-hmm. You were close at Arkansas State right before he left for Boise. So um, well, let's just talk about his background a little bit. Um, he obviously has a background on the offensive side of the ball. He was a quality control coach. Was his first job at the at the collegiate level at Auburn and that was his first year there was the year they went 14 and 0 and won the national championship so obviously we can expect that in his first year at Missouri Uh, he was there for two years then went to Arkansas State like we mentioned Um, then Brian Harson took him with him to Boise State where he coached tight ends and then was the offensive coordinator then he spent three years at North Carolina State as the offensive coordinator before his one year at Appalachian State this past season where they went 12-1 and one and won the Sun Belt and are playing in probably a pretty good bowl. I didn't actually take the time to look. He's not going to be coaching in that game, obviously. Um, if you look at the offenses that he coached, um, since that's kind of his specialty and he was at least co-offensive coordinator for a lot of these teams, the 2010 Auburn team, which we're not really going to count, was the number one offense in SP+. So that's good. Cam Newton will do that for yeah, you. Yeah, he will. At Arkansas State, though, uh, they did not have the best offense. They were 100th in the country uh, when he was his only season as the co-offensive coordinator. But he did a good enough job to get to keep doing that at Boise State, and they were ranked 25th and 49th. And then at NC State, the offense went from 58th to 15th to 29th in his three years there as offensive coordinator. So that's pretty good. Um, Nothing too spectacular, but there were also uh, stops where the offense wasn't really expected to do too (coughs) much and put up too many flashy numbers or anything like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, he has an interesting relationship with Gus Malzahn, who's currently the coach at Auburn. Um, what's interesting is he his relationship with him goes all the way back to his time at Springdale High School yep. in Arkansas, where Gus Malzahn was the coach there at the time. And I think um, 
Coach Drinkwitz was involved. He was on coaching staff at some somewhere. And uh, when Gus Malzahn left that job, Drinkwitz interviewed for the head coach head coaching job and didn't get it. But Malzahn took him with him to to Auburn, where he was the offensive coordinator. And Drinkwitz, like you said, was the quality control. Yeah. Um, so I think that was an interesting thing that I kind of picked up on um, about his background was every time he made a move, I think it, just about every time he, he was going with somebody who was he was kind of taking him them taking him with them. Yes. And uh, so that just kind of showed, you know, every, people just putting a vote of confidence in, in him. They wanted him a part of their staff going right. forward whenever they were, you know, whoever he was working with was making the move. Yeah, so Everybody he coached with seemed to really like him and wanted him to always be a part of what they had going on. Yeah. Words are hard at seven, whatever it is in the morning. I apologize. Yeah. <laughs> I'm stuttering over here. Um, when it comes to the offense he likes to run, he has said – uh, publicly here uh, in the last couple of days that he, like you said, picked up a lot from Gus Malzahn and uh, he uses that no huddle spread. And then he also picked up part of Brian Harson's. This is what he said, quote, multiple pro style motion shift system. That sounds amazing. So there, <laughs> there's a lot there. Um, I looked at a few, I watched some videos and, uh, looked at some numbers of the offense they ran this past year at Appalachian State, and they ran the ball a lot, which I was happy to see. And he's said publicly many times that that's the core of his offense is uh, north and south running game. So um, he's going to be asking for – he's going to be asking a lot of the offensive line that really struggled this past year. Uh, but thankfully he will have two, we think, really good running backs. They didn't look – uh, that great at times this past year um, to kind of build that running game around. But then he offsets that with a lot of screen passes, um, bubble screens, quick passing plays, quick hitches and uh, slants and stuff like that. Tyler Brady is about to be the MVP next year. That could be. That could be. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm a little, I'm always worried when I see a coach that really likes to run quick screen plays to the outside Um to the sideline because I don't know I just feel like I've seen a lot of Mizzou quarterbacks throw pick sixes when attempting uh quick screen plays that was a kind of a thing under Josh Heupel's offense that Drew Locke struggled with um so that always worries me a little bit and I think when you're making the jump from Appalachian State to the SEC uh defenders are just faster and they can get to those sideline plays quicker than lower level teams however uh, he was successful at Appalachian State against uh, Power 5 teams. So that didn't seem to be too much of an issue. Obviously, he's smart enough to um, get over those kind of issues if they arise. Does that sound like an, kind of an offense you will enjoy watching? Oh, if it scores, it will be... <laughs> if they run the touchdown play enough. Yes, that will be fine with me. But yeah, I thought that was it was interesting. I, I mean, it sounds ridiculous to say this, but I really love a coach that go that just prioritizes north and south running like it seems like that should be the most obvious thing ever but it isn't and I remember in kind of the later Gary Pinkle years I think we ran a lot of those run plays where it felt like they ran like sideways like five or ten yards before they actually started going like mm -hmm. north and south and I actually love that about Barry Odom when they first came in it was that change in the offense when the running backs just started going straight up the middle or what you know just taking what seemed like more economical <laughs> um lines yeah so um yeah I think I'm really excited about the offense and he's going to be calling the plays. So uh, if, if things go south and we know who to blame. <laughs> yeah. And but. I, but I really like that, that he's going to be calling the plays. I mean, I think especially when you're paying him as much as Missouri is, you can obviously you're still going to have a coach with the title of offensive coordinator, but Missouri will have the luxury of not needing that guy to be, you know, a spectacular play caller. He can be just, a guy that rallies the troops on offense and is also focused on recruiting, which um, is going to be really important, obviously, for any coach's success. Um, speaking of the other coaches around him, um, Drinkwitz said that special teams will be, quote, the heartbeat of his team, and they will have their own exclusive coach. And that guy is going to be Eric Link. So I don't, I didn't do any research on him. He brought him He's bringing him from Appalachian State as well, uh, where he was the special teams coach. 
um, at that time? Um, I am all for that. Um, I love Andy Hill. I think he's had a nice career at Missouri. He's worked there for a really long time. Um, met him a couple of times, and he's a, seems like a great guy. Um, however, our special teams haven't been that good. What did he do before he coached special teams? Oh man, I everything. Think, uh, like yeah. he was like their quarterbacks coach. He he was their wide receivers coach. Right. Um, he's done a whole bunch of stuff. Those are just in the past few years. Yeah, I don't yeah. even know. But he's worked at Missouri for a really, really long time, played at Missouri. So, you know, it's it's tough to just kick him out and, you know, but I don't know, maybe it's, maybe he wants to retire. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know what is going to happen, but he probably should not be t- coaching special teams anymore. We were abysmal in that arena in the last couple of years. So I am fully on board with uh, Mr. Eric Link coming and coaching our special teams. Can't get much worse. No. And it was the last couple of years. Agree. I mean... It's I like guess. you don't really realize how important special teams are until right. we're absolutely horrendous. Yeah, and you're just gifting the opponent with good field position, you know, just missing out on points and giving up. Yeah, it's just really frustrating to watch when the special teams is not uh, performing. So uh, also filling out the coaching staff, uh, Drinkwitz has said he's going to be doing that really in the last – 24 hours and the next 24 hours and it looks like potentially uh brick haley is going to be sticking around that seems like the most obvious one because he's on the road recruiting with Drinkwitz as we speak Mm -hmm. um also ryan walters was in the was at the press conference so potentially he'll be sticking around um there was potentially one other coach that i can't remember david gibbs yep Yes. The uh, secondary coach. Yes. That uh-huh. the, the turnover. That brought guru. all the turnovers for the first three games of the season. <laughs> yeah. So is that common that coaches retain members of the former staff? Not super I common. I feel like it's not really. However, when you're making a big, a pretty big jump up from the Sun Belt to the SEC, and that first year in the Sun Belt was his first time assembling a coaching staff you're going to have guys that probably aren't quite ready to be coaching at the sec level. Obviously he's really confident in this special teams guy, Eric link that he can do a a fine job in the sec. But I told you when the news broke, I think my first text to you when the news broke about Barry Odom was I'm probably most upset that we're potentially going to lose Ryan Walters because he's done such a good job the last couple of years as the defensive coordinator. And obviously Barry Odom has had a hand in that as well, but, mm-hmm. and he picked the guy, but he became my favorite coach on the coaching staff this past year. I would say with the struggles that the team had, you know, the disciplinary things, just like the weird personal fouls all the time and stuff like that, that I kind of attributed to the head coach. Ryan Walters became my favorite coach on the staff. Yeah, I was I was happy to hear that that, and I don't know if it's been officially reported that he's sticking around, but it looks it like not, at this point he will probably be sticking around. I think I even saw that he might be out recruiting now as well. Yeah, that'd be good. That yeah. So um, if he is going to be the defensive coordinator, um, do you think we'll keep running the same offensive? Or that wouldn't make sense, would it? <laughs> the same defensive scheme that we were running like in the past couple of years. I guess I don't know how much of that was. I don't know how much Ryan Walters was just doing what Barry Odom told him to do. Right. Um, and it seems like, I mean, that could be a very good way to be successful, have a good defense at Missouri, is just do what Barry Odom did when he was defensive coordinator. But when when they kind of made that scheme shift uh, early early on, things didn't go very well until they kind of got the players in place and got the systems in place to get good at it and I kind of feel the same way I did when they made that switch before now that they're good at it let's just keep it going yeah exactly I mean they they have all the players right now to run to run that defensive scheme and you're right I mean that's the first thing I thought of was 2000 whatever it was 15 or 16 whenever Barry um, took over and completely changed the defense and why in the long run it was probably the best decision for the defense but for you know two whole years the, you know, we were trying to get the personnel in there to run it and nobody that had been running the, the former defense wanted to switch. And it was just like this big, horrible yeah. thing. And I remember Charles Harris specifically, like 
like coming out and publicly, you know, criticizing the new defense that they were running and because yeah. it kind of took away that pass rush that we had in the Gary Pinkle era. So or at the end of it, at least. So, yeah, it takes a long time to just start over a new defense completely. And so it's nice that we may not have to do that. Yeah, I mean, if if he, if Coach Walters has his own thing that he'd rather be doing, again in the long term, that's probably what's best. But this is really working, and I hope that's what he wants to do in the future. Um, anything else regarding the coaching staff specifically? I think we covered it all. There's going to be a few uh, spots that are filled by guys we don't know right now, so mm-hmm. that'll be interesting to see. But we should know that in the next couple of days. Um, on his staff at Appalachian State was his defensive coordinator, Ted Roof, who has been <clears throat> successful in the past. I think a lot of people were interested to see if he might come with him to Missouri. That has not been reported yet, um, so I don't know if that's a possibility. I don't know if he's potentially a candidate to take over for Coach Drinkwood's at um, Appalachian State as the head coach. So um, that I think that is a, a possibility that he might come join Missouri in some way, but if Missouri is obviously retaining a lot of their defensive staff, then there may not be a spot for him. Appalachian State promoted their interim coach, Sean Clark, to head coach. Okay. I just saw that a little while ago. Um, Let's just do, before we dive into recruiting, um, a little recap on the other coaching things that have happened in the SEC. You all probably heard that Lane Kiffin was hired as the head coach at Ole Miss. Uh, Arkansas got Georgia's offensive line coach, Sam Pittman, and man, is he excited to be a Razorback. Yes, sir. (laughs) Uh, Auburn hired former Arkansas head coach Chad Morris as offensive coordinator, and Georgia hired former Ole Miss head coach as their offensive line coach. And there was even a a few more recycled coaches making their way around the SEC. But Missouri's... um Offensive line coach Brad Davis went to Arkansas. Right. And <laughs> he, I think, was very popular at first at Missouri, at least with some of the guys that he brought in in the recruiting trail. I think he was a good recruiter, but our offensive line, like, production went down, like, got worse every year. So, and the same thing happened to him at Florida before he was at Missouri. So, we'll hope the same, the same thing happens at Arkansas. <laughs> and I've heard rumors that Arkansas really likes Barry Odom to be their next defensive coordinator. There's just no way that could happen. I mean, there is a way that could happen, but I really hope it doesn't happen. Yeah, he should just either be the DC at Virginia Tech or be the next head coach at Memphis. That'd be fine with me. (laughs) Yeah, just please get away from us for a while. Yeah. Uh, So recruiting. Uh, We talked about Drinkwitz and Brick Haley are on the road together. At least they were. They were in Tennessee to see running back Elijah Young, uh, making him a priority as a guy they wanted to they want to secure for this upcoming class that's really smart uh we everybody knew that as soon as he got there he was gonna have to get to work recruiting because there there were some decommits there were some guys that were kind of in a wait and see approach to see what the new coach had to say but it seems like everybody's kind of rallying around him even the recruits and uh, i feel pretty good about our chances with a lot of these guys yeah, that's obviously the next big thing um, that he has to do is familiarize himself with the current players, and which is probably not an easy thing. I don't know if you watched some of the Twitter videos that uh, Missouri social media was putting out. Um, it's some stuff that you don't really think about sometimes is that it might be kind of awkward. Like as a as a current player, you've just you've you signed up to play for Barry Odom. You're here. He's been your coach for you know however many years, two three years, maybe longer if you're a senior or whatever. And all of a sudden, one day, he's just fired. He's gone. Yeah. And now there's a new coach that comes in, and you just have no other choice but to just accept it and it's move like, on. It's like meeting your new stepdad or something. It's Yeah. <laughs> and so I actually watched, you know, they showed a little clip of him, I guess, meeting some of the players for the new time for the first time. And uh, it's just kind of like, wow, this is this is big. And, you know, he kind of was in the in front of them in, like, an auditorium-type setting, and some of the players just looked like they were, like – yeah not like too super excited and so that that's a difficult job so at the same time that you have to kind of meet your new your actual players you got to go re-recruit all the guys that have you know made their commitment to Barry Odom in high that are in high school still so there's a lot going on and he's he's gonna ha- he's gonna be really really busy but it looks like he's okay with that so far it was cool in those videos though that you're talking about on like Instagram and stuff he was just 
meeting guys and saying, hey, nice to meet you. What, what's your position? Yeah. <laughs> what position do you play? And uh, one that sticks out in my mind was him meeting Daniel Parker Jr. Yeah. And I think that's going to be an important guy to get on your side early, that he is a vocal leader, I think, and he's going to grow even more into that role um, as an upperclassman. So, And obviously the coach will quickly figure out who who's kind of, you know, the leader amongst the players and you want to be you want to be kind of friends with those guys Mm -hmm. and uh they'll help your your tenure be at least successful in the eyes of the players yeah and that's something that barry odom did so well i mean he coach drink coach drinkwitz has to be aware of how much these guys loved barry odom and that would be kind of intimidating to just know that these guys loved their former coach and you're coming in here you took his job i don't know you got to hope that there's not too much animosity. They understand that it's a business, but I don't know. That'd be that'd be interesting. That'd be kind of a a test of your charisma, right yeah. there. Yeah, and we talked about it a little bit last week, where you know it wasn't like you know a lot of times when there's coaching coaching turnover, it's because the program is just in a absolutely abysmal place and everybody's ready for a change. But that wasn't all. That wasn't necessarily the case here. And so yeah, those players are probably feeling a little bit like they're kind of missing Barry Odom potentially yeah. and kind of just were, I think of the players were very surprised that he was fired. So not but a super easy p- position to come just yeah. walk into at the same time though, when you're talking about 18, 19, 20 year olds, they're probably as relieved as anyone to just have a guy to look at and be like, okay, this is our coach. This is the guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless, unless some of them are seriously considering transferring, which I can't imagine very many of them are just cause that's an ordeal to go through. They'd rather it work with the new head coach, I'm sure. So they're probably just relieved, but also a little bit anxious just to kind of see what how things are going to be with this new coach. That's just such an interesting interpersonal relationship dynamic that I find fascinating. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we've got a bunch of recruits to uh, get back on board, and um, including a few that aren't currently on board that he's already working on, and one of those is Mantra Edwards. It looked like he was... FaceTiming Mantra Edwards maybe the same day as his like press conference or maybe it was the yeah. day after that but either way I was like he was on this, the phone with him really quick this guy's hitting it hard already yeah. so um and that uh, that's also just a credit to Brick Haley and some of the guys that are f- all, you know from the old regime is immediately they're like okay we got some guys that they're getting you know, up to speed uh, welcome but yep. we got some guys that we need to go get and so they're immediately doing that and I I love it uh there's like. 12 or so recruits that are going to use their free additional uh, official visit to come to Columbia this weekend. Um, and it, a lot of them are very serious about it because a few guys canceled their, or they are not going to show up in a little uh, high school all-star game uh, type thing, which is really big for a lot of high school players. And there's two guys in particular uh, that are, skipping out on that opportunity to be in Columbia to meet the new coach and be, like you said, kind of re-recruited. Um, is there anybody else in particular? Uh, oh, JJ Hester is one of the guys that will be in Columbia this weekend. And he's one that I believe he officially decommitted according to his social media and stuff. So he's going to be an important one to get back on board. Yeah. And he's one of the higher rated commits in the class too. He's a <clears throat> wide receiver from Tulsa. And um, part of Coach Drinkwitz's offense is the vertical pass threat. And right now on the roster, we don't have a ton of guys that can go make contested vertical passes or catches. Well, we don't know how much they can because they weren't given that opportunity <laughs> you very often might be this past year. right about that. Um, but, it, yeah, so... <laughs> It's also probably telling that they didn't try it much yeah. because they probably didn't feel super confident in who they had. So sure. uh, we need some guys to come in and, and that can make catches. And um, it looks like J.J. Hester can be that guy. So I think that's a very important uh, target to, to go get. Two guys in particular were reported as being very happy with the with the hire. Uh, Jalen Carlise and Tyler Jones, uh, according to the Orlando Sentinel, were very happy with the hire. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, one of these guys retweeted that sentiment, so he seems very on board, which is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, the more guys like that that we can have buying in early, hopefully it'll get a few of these guys on board. Um, I do want to point out, though, I was playing around with the 
uh, 24-7 sports class calculator. I don't know if you've ever messed around with that too much, but you can just plug in guys that you think potentially could commit to your school, and it'll give you what that uh, their class rating would be. So I kind of just went all out and said, okay, every guy they're after that's reasonable, let's say they all commit to Missouri. So I'm talking about Antonio Doyle, um, <clears throat> what's his name, Manning. Dante. Uh, yeah. Montre Edwards, uh, Jalen St. John, all these guys that are kind of borderline guys. Um, I just put them all on Missouri. And I think it gave me, that was at like 21 or so commits, which is close to a full class. Maybe you fill that out with a little, with a few guys kind of in the middle of the rankings there. Um, if you compare the ranking that that spit out to last year's SEC, that ranking would have moved us from 13th in the conference to 12th. <laughs> so it's, you can't overstate how tough the competition is in the SEC when it comes to recruiting classes. And how important development is yeah. after they get there. From Missouri, yeah. yeah. So as much, I mean, as much as we talk about these recruits being, some of them being must-get guys, as far as recruiting rankings, they're not moving the needle that much. So I just wanted to kind of get that out there as kind of a, don't be too upset if we miss on a few guys because they're, I don't know. I think that's one thing I, I learned whenever I became like a pretty big Mizzou fan, you know, probably back in early, you know, 2010s range or so was, you know, I started following the recruiting like really, really closely, like on social media. And I was like following all the recruits and like their every tweet was like, like, Oh, what does this mean? I was like trying to interpret it. And, um, I like, you know, it just, it's important to go get guys, you know, the, but the best teams that win get the best recruits typically. Yes. But, um, whenever you're recruiting at Missouri's level, kind of that maybe tier two of, of the power, power five realm. Um, you're right. Like it just, these two star guys can come in and be your best player. Like Nick Bolton was like a, you know, two or three star player. And now he's like an all American in his sophomore year. Yeah. It just doesn't always have to be the, the guys that you view as the top recruits coming out of high school. Those guys might be the most college ready um, at the moment, but that might be all that it is. And once other guys have a chance to, to develop a little bit, then it's just kind of a wash. And I've kind of learned to relax a little bit on my following of recruiting. Like I still follow it closely, but yeah, I don't like live and die by it. <laughs> and it's, I mean, the biggest thing is just being in the SEC. Yeah. I, I mean, if you take that ranking, I didn't do this, but if you compared that to other conferences, they would not be 12th or 13th anymore. They would be much, well, mm -hmm. maybe not much higher, but they would be higher. And so, um, but Drinkwitz did say, I mean, he, he talked, he talked the talk of, um, securing the borders, um, locking down St. Louis and Kansas city. Yeah. He had a interesting quote that I really liked. It was, if you play football, high school football in Missouri, then you're going to play for the Missouri Tigers or something like that. And he may not understand how much of a challenge it is to get guys from, from St. Louis, but I still liked that he's going to make that a priority. So we'll see going forward, uh, what he can do to, um, build a relationship with those guys. Yeah. And there's a difference between getting guys from St. Louis and Kansas city and getting the top guys from yeah. St. Louis and Kansas city. I mean, if you go back through the recruiting rankings for the state of Missouri, the last five years, the top guys are going to Notre Dame, Ohio state, Texas yeah. every year. So yeah, that's, it's really and there's tough. not a whole lot of, uh, high power five players in the state outside of those areas there every once in a while you'll get a few that are kind of scattered across the state but for from the most Columbia part or sometimes down here in the southwest yeah but, but for the most part you're going to want to target those two areas for sure uh last couple things that are kind of uh tangentially rated related to our recruiting discussion uh cooper davis was a commit that has flipped to illinois um that surprised me a little bit um i believe he grew up in mid-Missouri. I think he lives in Florida currently, but um, he was a guy that I really felt like was going to be on board, um, but maybe he just really loved Barry Odom. I don't know what the case is, but um, we've, we've stolen some players from Illinois in a couple different sports, so maybe yeah. it's time to uh, you know return the favor a little bit. Yeah. And then also, uh, according to Dave Matter on Twitter, one of Connor Bazelak's visits was to North Carolina State when Drinkwitz was the offensive coordinator, so That's interesting. they are going to be familiar with each other at least. 
Uh, there was another guy, I think, uh, maybe Rashad Floyd said, I, I can't remember who it was exactly, but I think maybe it was Floyd that tweeted, you know, good guy recruited me out of high school or mm. something like that. Interesting. I can't remember if it was him for sure. I didn't see that. Uh, I think the quarterback competition is going to be interesting next year. I think there's really going to be a, a tough battle between Bazelak and, and Robinson. I think we've heard some good things about Robinson coming out. I, you know, he he was a good player at TCU. He had really had the ability to throw the ball downfield, and that's what they're going to want to do. I think they, they ran a pretty high-tempo offense at TCU, which might translate pretty well to what Drinkwitz wants to do next year. So um, I think that I kind of just thought Bazelak would probably take over the job, but um, with Robinson being potentially a great candidate to kind of fill the role that Drinkwitz might be looking for and Bazelak's injury, things might get pretty interesting. Yeah, that'll be fun to watch. Um, last couple news things I have here. Uh, Jordan Elliott was named first-team All-American by Pro Football Focus, and both Elliott and Nick Bolton were named first-team All-SEC by the Associated Press. So pretty high honors there for two guys. Um, Jordan Elliott kind of just quietly going about his business all season and being one of the best interior linemen in the, in the country, if not the best. And then Nick Bolton just kind of coming out of nowhere as far as even the SEC media. I mean, we Kyle's been high on him for a long time, uh, but I think he just kind of showed that he's ready. Obviously, he's ready to compete at the highest level, and it was just really fun watching him play this year. It's a shame. Uh, you got to think if Kale Garrett isn't injured, he's on this list as well. Yeah, I can't wait to watch Nick Bolton going forward. I mean, it's crazy to think how good he could be. Um, even even after his Mizzou career, it looks like he has the potential to be a fantastic football player um, at the next level as well if he keeps going at the trajectory he's on. Yeah, all he has to do next year is basically do the same thing as this year, and he'll be he'll <laughs> go down as one of the best linebackers in Mizzou history. Definitely. Any other news or anything? Uh, any last comments about the new coach before we move on to basketball? I think that's it. Cool. Basketball got a win, a big win, on the road at Temple. So this was a game we both predicted to be a loss. Obviously, Missouri was reeling, coming off of losses to Butler, Oklahoma, and Charleston Southern. But they went into uh, Philadelphia. That's where Temple is, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, got the win by 10. It was a pretty close game. It was hard fought. Missouri played really good defense all game. Temple's offense is not fantastic, but Missouri did what you're supposed to do when you play a lackluster offense. They shut them down. One by ten, uh, Javon Pickett kind of arrived finally for his sophomore season. Uh, had sixteen points, five rebounds. Yeah, uh, it was a huge win. I was I'm really excited about what I saw in that game. And what's crazy is it didn't look like the team was all that different except for one thing, and that was Pickett. Yeah. And if we could just get some more out of Pickett or or uh, Watson. Or if we can just get a little more production on offense out of some of the, you know, some of those guys, um, that might be what we could look like the rest of the season. And because we're so good defensively, we're always going to be in games. And another thing that I was very sur not surprised by, but but it was great to see was Penson kind of get back and in the swing of things because he had kind of disappeared over the last few games. And I don't know, it just seems like he hadn't played as much maybe the last um, couple games. But he, when he's in there. I just really feel like the offense flows so well, and he really kind of gets into the interior of uh, and can create, or he can get the ball back out to the perimeter. I just feel like the offense is so less stagnant when he's in there, and I also love seeing Drew being able to shoot the ball. I think that helped a lot too. Was just that he showed, and you know, he he made a few threes, didn't make all of them, but just him showing that he's a threat to shoot, I thought also helped the fluidity of the offense a lot because. Now guys have to guard him. And I think before in the last couple of games, since he hadn't really shot at all this month, this year that much, I think teams just knew he wasn't going to shoot. And I think that very simple thing, just teams kind of have to extend out to guard him now, just helps so much. Yeah, well, that was one thing that I that we talked about when I texted you during the, I think it was during the Charleston Southern game, like Drew Smith is going to have to start pulling up. He's going to have to start shooting the ball because – opponents are not respecting his ability to shoot the three whatsoever. And so him getting a few baskets, maybe getting some confidence, maybe the coaching staff will scheme a little better to try to get him some shots. They definitely did 
uh, in the Temple game. They were plays run for him to get open threes. Um, it's great to see them win a game where um, Mark Smith was just okay. I mean, seven points, one of four from three. Um, one interesting stat line, Mitchell Smith, one of seven from three. Did he really shoot he shot seven, seven threes? threes. I, I didn't realize it. I watching. did not realize that. So there you go. Mark Smith and Mitchell Smith combined yeah, two like of to 12. not have that happen going forward. I'm fine with him shooting a couple of threes. It's fine yeah. if he's open, but not seven of them, please, Mitchell. Yeah. I mean, they still didn't shoot the ball ridiculously well. Eight of 29 for 28% if you round up. So not fantastic, but they held on to the ball. So only 14 turnovers, 20% of their possessions, and they forced turnovers, 19 uh, committed by Temple. So if you have, if you're plus nine in the turnover battle, that's going to win Missouri a lot of games as well. Yeah. And Temple's a good team. I, I think this was really a, a big win, especially on the road. I did not. This is a game that I th- I saw Mizzou losing even before the season when I thought that they could be better than they've been. Um, I think Temple had a game last night against St. Joseph's, who is not a great team, but they won by like 45 points. They literally scored over 100 points um, against St. Joseph's. And, you know, that I, I definitely think Temple is going to go on and have a really nice season. I think it's going to be a quadrant one win, especially since it was on the road. That helps a lot. Yeah. But that, that was just a huge win. Be rooting for Temple all season. We need them to have, like, at least 20 wins at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else about that Temple game? Anything that jumped I, out at you? Another, qu- I guess, quick thing I, I noticed on Pinson was just him being there at the end of the game like he was in the Xavier game. Missouri should have beat Xavier, yeah. and if they did, Pinson probably would have been the main reason why because he pulled through in, in the clutch at the end of that game as well as this game. And so – it looks like he wants the ball in his hands at the end of the game. I'm fine with it. Yeah, he looks super confident, and his ability to just kind of go get a bucket. We talked about it many times on this podcast that he is the most looks like the most capable player on the roster. Uh, Mark Smith may be second right behind him, but Penson's ability to finish creatively. Um, Drew has shown it at times, but it just seems like, I don't know, it seems like he's not willing to do it as quickly as Penson is. I don't think he has quite the like quickness and, and like range that yeah. Penson has. I think Penson can just get to the hole so quickly. Yeah. Because he's he's kind of rangy. Like he's has he's got long arms and um he's his first his first step is so quick that he can just get to the basket in like a snap and mm-hmm. um he's really he's really talented like that. But um I I was I was encouraged. I hope this can be kind of a stepping stone and just the c- overall confidence of a lot of the individual players and because it makes a huge difference when when guys are hitting shots yeah there's a uh, really big game coming up in a couple weeks that uh hope the team is clicking on all cylinders or firing on all cylinders that might be a little bit better than clicking but uh so missouri's now ranked 56th in ken palm their defense has jumped back up to 28th the offense is at 111 so still the offense not where we want it to be but the defense is honestly right where I hope it stays the entire season. Yeah, I mean, and I, if, I think it can. Even if it doesn't improve much from an efficiency standpoint, I think 28th is a pretty solid number. That'll win you some games in the SEC. Mm-hmm. Next up, um, Missouri hosts Southern Illinois. And Southern Illinois is ranked 217th in Kempom. They are 4-6 and six on the season. Their only wins are to a uh, Division II opponent, uh, or 212th ranked University Texas San Antonio, and then two other uh, Ken Palm 300 teams. So they haven't beaten anybody, and everybody they've lost to has a Ken Palm rating of 106 or worse. Um, what's their like pace of play looking like? 340th. That's what I thought. <laughs> I think they're pretty slow team, um, which... You know, Missouri is too, though, so it might be an interesting game in that regard. <laughs> it's going to probably be pretty low scoring, I would think. you got to hope, I, and I don't know if how much Konzo will just, like, stick to his identity, but when a team that you're obviously, you obviously have better players than Southern Illinois, when they want to play slow, 
Missouri, in my opinion, should speed up the game, use your athletes, use your superior talent to pull away, and then slow it back down. And I think Missouri did that a little bit very early in the season um, against some of those overmatched opponents. Um, Incarnate Word, Northern Kentucky, they kind of sped the game up a little bit and then put the brakes on in the second half. So that's what I look for in this game. Southern Illinois is just not really very good at anything. They're in the 200s in both offense and defensive efficiency. They, let's see, what are they actually good at? They are good at, they have a fairly good effective field goal percentage, but it looks like every time they miss, they are never getting an offensive rebound. So Missouri (laughs) should win the rebounding battle. They should even win the expected rebounding battle. So uh, that looks pretty good. They, Missouri's offense does have another opportunity to wake up a little bit and hopefully improve that efficiency rating. I don't, there's not much analysis to be done with Southern Illinois. This is another game that Missouri should, should win. I mean, it's going to be closer than some of their other blowouts really early in the season, but they should win this game by 10 to 15 points. Hopefully they get up by that much in the first half and just kind of cruise in the second. Mm-hmm. Southern Illinois, they're in the uh, Missouri Valley, right? Yes, as a uh, Missouri State follower, um, it seems like Southern Illinois is always, always kind of sticky. Like, always seem like they're better than their rankings or their record would show. Um, I don't know anything about this year's team, but I wouldn't be surprised if they come out and, you know, make this a game, but because it just seems like they have a tendency to do that and kind of play up to their competition a little bit, but they are projected to finish last in the conference. Mm. So, but there's a lot of bad teams in the Missouri Valley that kind of clog up the back half of the conference standings. All right. Anything else about basketball before we move on? Nope. Big game coming up against Illinois. I'm excited for that. They just beat Michigan last night. Yeah. They look pretty good. They should have beaten Maryland. Maryland, mm-hmm. yeah. All right. I'm moving on to the college football playoff draft game. Uh, it's over, folks. It is all over. Um, the final four participants are... LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, and Oklahoma. That means, Kyle, you have been shut out of the Final (laughs) Four. Your squad of Georgia, Oregon, Utah, and Alabama finished with an average ranking of 8.75, and none of them are in the college football playoff Final Four. It's terrible. (laughs) No Georgia or Alabama in the playoff. What? This is the weirdest year ever. Yeah. Uh, Nobody saw LSU except me, apparently. Uh, Producer Cameron, you finished with two teams in the Final Four, Ohio State and Oklahoma, along with Florida and Penn State for your Final Four. Uh, Florida and Penn State ranked ninth and 10th. And I had number one, LSU, number three, Clemson, number seven, Baylor, and number eight, Wisconsin. So that made my average ranking 4.75. So with Cameron and I both having two teams make the Final Four, my average ranking being better means I have won the competition. Your average ranking is better than my highest team rank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got, I mean, obviously I got kind of lucky with uh, just picking up Baylor like midway through the season and just holding on to them and just, well, if they're going to win 11 games or, or whatever, they're going to have a pretty good ranking. And then uh, I switched from, I switched back and forth from Wisconsin to Minnesota to Wisconsin. So I just wanted whoever was going to be in the, uh, Big Ten championship game against Ohio State. And I've got two Pac-12 teams, so I'm really doing great. Yeah, you have uh, four teams uh, representing two conferences. <laughs> so <laughs> I honestly, there was a, like two weeks ago, you had Georgia and you had Georgia who was ranked fourth. All they had to do was beat LSU. And then you also had Oregon and Utah who I think at the time were fifth and sixth. Mm. So I was really counting on you having two teams in, uh, potentially. Obviously, Georgia needed to upset LSU. Um, We'll get to that game in a sec, but um, Oregon just really falling on its face against Arizona State really kind of doomed your squad there. Mm -hmm. 
All right. Well, I'll, congratulations. Uh, thank you. I'll take my prize <laughs> money and uh, put it in the bank. Moving on to SEC Pick'em Plus Nebraska, obviously. Minus Nebraska. Yeah, SEC Pick'em Minus Nebraska. Their season is over. Way over. Um, <laughs> we picked one SEC game last week. That was obviously the SEC championship between LSU and Georgia. Second week in a row. <laughs> Second week record. in a row, Cameron drops his phone. Uh, obviously, I picked LSU because I have them on my uh, college football playoff team, and Kyle picked Georgia. Did I really? Yeah, you did. <laughs> oh. LSU won by a lot. Did you watch much of that game? Some. It was not real close. No. Uh, LSU looked really good, definitely deserving of that number one spot. Uh, so that means when it's all said and done, uh, the official ending of this, as I deem it, before producer Cameron tries any shenanigans, I have 76 points. Kyle, you have 65. Congratulations again. Uh, two years in a row now. I just crushed you at Pick'em. And you even enlisted some help, and I just didn't matter. You're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're going to have to uh, enlist more followers to help you with your picks next year. I guess. So let's talk about the uh, college football playoff Final Four. We got number one, LSU, a 13-point favorite against Oklahoma. And then number two, Ohio State against Number three, Clemson. Clemson, a two-point favorite. So, obviously, that's going to be an incredibly close game, according to Las Vegas. I really like these matchups. I think these will be fantastic games. Um, it's going to be interesting seeing Clemson play a real team. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. they've literally played no one all year. <laughs> we just don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are they good? Probably, but we don't know. Mm-hmm. We're going to find out. We'll see. They did what they were supposed to do and beat all the teams in front of them, so that's yeah. really all you can ask. Mm-hmm. I guess you could ask them to schedule a good team in the non-conference, but why? Yeah, why would you? Yeah. You'll play a good non-conference team in the Final Four. That would work for me <laughs> as a Clemson fan. Uh, who do you think is going to win these games? Well, I guess I'll go at LSU. LSU is going to beat Oklahoma. They look... Al- absolutely unstoppable i'm pretty sure burrow might be one of the best college quarterbacks i've ever watched in my life <laughs> um pretty tough to pick against them um i'm gonna go with ohio, ohio state over clemson they've looked really good all year too yeah um, ohio state i mean by any metric you look at is arguably the best team in the country lsu ohio state and clemson are actually i think the spread would be like three or less in any matchup between those three teams they're so evenly matched i think oklahoma is just kind of half a step below that mm-hmm. which vegas seems to think is worth a touchdown basically or so uh, touchdown 10 points i think vegas is trying to get people to bet on oklahoma i guess because 13 seems kind of like a lot in a final four situation national championship semifinal but Remember the year that blowouts before? Yeah, I was was about to say. Like, remember, like when Alabama beat Michigan State like thirty-eight to zero or something? Like several years. Penn State, I think, got shut out by Clemson or somebody. Yeah, didn't Notre Dame get blown out? Yeah, probably. Sounds about right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I could definitely see it. I mean, LSU, LSU is really good, and I do think that Oklahoma is not quite as good as the other three. So I'm definitely going to pick LSU. I kind of. I kind of hope they just destroy Oklahoma. I don't know why. I just, I, I kind of like, it's weird to like a front runner as much as I like this LSU team, but Coach O obviously is, is fun in interviews and stuff. Um, and I think it would kind of get, h- however, um, I was kind of upset that LSU fans thought they could do better than Les Miles. And it kind of annoys me when, those teams go out and outperform the previous coach and Georgia did that as well and it seems like time after time I go what you really expect you can do better than this guy um the only team that comes to mind that that didn't work out for was the Nebraska Cornhuskers true um we'll see if they can ever win nine games again that wasn't good enough under uh Bo Pelini uh yeah I'm gonna pick Clemson I'm surprised they're favored, but we'll see. They might. Just yeah, I think uh, when when the uh, broadcast was going on, they were announcing the four teams. It seemed they were talking about uh, Clemson. That's the team you don't want to play in the semifinal. 
avoid them at all costs. Yeah. But I'm sure Ohio State would rather play Oklahoma. Yes, definitely. All right, well. All right, well, things are a lot. That's all I got. Things are a lot better uh, now than they were last week. So, um, excited about the future. We said uh, things couldn't get any worse. You said things can't get any worse, and I said let's wait, let's hold off until Missouri wins a basketball game and hires a new coach. And here we are. And sure enough, that at that time things could not get any worse. Things feel better, definitely. Oh yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, you can find this podcast and all of all of our other podcasts on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. We are on Twitter at Mizzou Sports Pod, and you can email us at Missouri Sports Pod at gmail.com. And you can find me on Twitter at C underscore Albert 08. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next week. After the win, basketball.